Welcome to Breakaway, a women's soccer podcast covering industry events, emerging teams, and the latest on league developments. Welcome your co-hosts, Megan and Chase. Hi, listeners. It's Megan. And Chase. And we're here on our third episode of the Breakaway podcast, where we discuss all things women's soccer in the United States. And today we're going to cover something that we both have a lot of interest in, have found very intriguing, and currently just finished part of it. So we're talking about the She Believes Cup, not just the cup, I guess, She Believes in general. And we'll go into further detail on that. But really what it is, it's combining play and education for women and young girls. So to set the scene, Chase, when did this start? How was it formulated? Yeah, so the She Believes Cup, it started in 2016, and it was inspired by the women's national team, their road to winning the 2015 World Cup. Um, And it's to encourage young women across the nation to achieve their dreams, regardless of whether those dreams are sports-related. It has a lot of themes of empowerment, so this has created a really unique bond between fans and the U.S. soccer team, and the United States soccer has acted as a She Believes ambassador, aiming to unite and elevate um, nonprofits, women's sports organizations, and influencers with the shared goal of positively impacting um, and women. Yeah, so the biggest thing there is just to really set that scene is U.S. soccer is then coming together with Deloitte to put on She Believes, which is both the Cup and the She Believes Summit. So looking into the She Believes Cup, there's four international teams that play. It's a pretty like basic standard type of tournament. Um, they play all four and then it's determined at the end based on what is that chase? It's like goals... Yep, so it's by, obviously, wins, and then goals. It can be based off of how many yellow cards and red cards are given, um, if it comes down to that close of a stat. And there's one other, but it's slipping my mind. No worries. So for the first three years of the She Believes Cup, there was a common theme with all four teams being U.S., Germany, England, and France. And when I think back to that, like... Those are some fire teams, like yeah. pretty high up. Yeah, all ranked within the top 10, I believe. Potentially even the top five, I'm pretty sure. France is number five. England's <laughs> that's four. A, that sounds right. Germany is second, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. And so, the US yeah. is one. Top, top five. Um, as I'm saying that, I better be right. And <laughs> <laughs> um, so very intense at the beginning. And then since then, other teams have kind of floated in there. And then for this year, it was the USA, Canada, Brazil, and Japan. So kind of, I'll get into this more later in the podcast, but they had like multiple different teams that bring a lot of different things to the table. And so that really is only the cup though. And there's like the whole She Believes Summit, which is beyond the cup that not the general public gets to be a part of, but you know, people then can go to this conference, learn a ton about it. So Chase, if you can just like walk us through what is the She Believes Summit? Yeah, so the She Believes Summit, it's a multi-day conference. I believe it averages around two to three days, depending on the topics that are being discussed. This year is the first time that it's going to be hosted in person after COVID. So pretty exciting. It's happening in Texas, and I believe it's happening March 11th through the 12th. So you can go on their website and register for that if that's something that... You're going to be in the area for or you're just really interested in but the event is filled with different guest speaker events there's different workshop events this year they have a special emphasis on mental health so there's going to be a few additional workshops covering that but essentially there's a lot of different speakers that 
hold different capacities within the sports industry. So that could be general managers and presidents of soccer teams, that can be coaches, that can be fitness instructors, yoga instructors, that can be people who work with really famous brands like Nike and Adidas, all for the common goal of helping empower young women and helping them advance in their career, as well as their community and just building some overall confidence in themselves. As Megan mentioned, it's presented by Deloitte. So there's also a number of Deloitte speakers as well. You have a lot of career coaches in different areas such as strategic management, human resources, overall inspiration. Mainly just a really good platform for bringing people together in this industry to help those who wish to become more involved in sports careers, helping them elevate them, empower them more to pursue their goals. Yeah, and I remember last year, it might have been the year before, I I was watching a interview with Tierna Davidson, who was a center back for the U.S. Women's National Team. She's injur- or coming back from injury, I think, right now. So hopefully she's back for the World Cup, fingers crossed. But she was speaking about like her education at Stanford and kind of that STEM background. And I just find it really cool to kind of like merge the two of, you know, people that are involved in women's sports or, you know, they can have connection with like career uh, like in a business career or STEM career or something like that to really bridge that gap, I think is cool to see. Mm-hmm. And it really shows like U.S. soccer is serious about, you know, like supporting women and getting their toes wet in that. And I think if you think back to if this started in 2016, like that was right before kind of the fight for equal, the the settlement, I guess I should say the lawsuit by the U.S. women's national mm-hmm. team, that fight has like always kind of been there. And I think, yeah. I don't know, it shows initiation and, and seriousness from U.S. soccer. To what extent are they, you know, involved in the actual summit? Not sure. We would probably have to go and see for ourselves maybe next year (laughs) um so yeah i think seeing them bridge the gap and i know like last year abby wambach spoke at it and i think this year potentially carly lloyd so it's Mm -hmm. you know it's getting those players that have great influence also involved in the summit which i think is really cool to see yeah for sure so for me i feel like it feels like a ted talk event which is kind of cool to see kind of full circle i know like in our like going through university going through university (laughs) like when i was in college um watching a lot of ted talks but seeing that representation towards like women i think is really cool Mm -hmm. and then going into the she believes cup which i think the she believes summit i think is really really cool and groundbreaking and something kind of more on the business side but the fun stuff is also talking about the players, talking about um, the U.S. Women's National Team and, and what it kind of meant for them. So the tournament does provide the U.S. Women's National Team, you know, another experience and another tournament to go through. And I think especially right now, right before the World Cup, how important is it for mm-hmm. our team to be able to play together and get that cohesion and that team vibe going I think is incredible and I think it was very eye-opening in terms of what how does our team look how do you think it is helping the U.S. women's national team this year well kind of like what you said you know it's giving the team some good experience playing with potential players that they will be facing in the World Cup and we've had a lot of retirements over the last few years on the women's national team so it feels like this year we have a lot of new players a lot of really young players 
It gives them a good taste of what it's like to play against these international teams right before the World Cup, which is very beneficial. Um, so it gives them some familiarity of what they're going to be up against. And I think it also does a good job of pulling in the spotlight a little bit on the women's national team right before the World Cup. Um, so it does a good job of garnering some attention. That's so true. I would say. And I think it also just acts as a really good platform for the team in general and just women's soccer in general especially right before an event like the World Cup. So it acts as a good way to bring some issues that are happening in the industry to the face of, of people. So Before we touch on, you know, some issues that were exposed <laughs> during She Believes Cup, I want to kind of ponder with like USA, Canada, Brazil, and Japan being there. And mm-hmm. I guess my question is, do we think that was up to par for training for the World Cup? I personally do think so. At first, I was... A little like disappointed not to see a big Europe team in there. Just with how soccer is exploding over in Europe for women's soccer and how successful the Premier League has been this year for women, I think it would have been useful and beneficial to see um, one of them being played in the tournament, especially of how the U.S. Women's National Team performed in the fall with England and Spain. (laughs) It would have been useful. But I do think like Brazil brings that creativity and kind of that spark that I think the U.S. women's national team can get there. I don't, they're not nearly. Well, they definitely proved themselves to be a pretty solid opponent in this most recent She Believes Cup. I believe this is one of the first times that the U.S. team got scored against in the last few games. Yeah. It was against, it, it, was, it was Brazil. Brazil. Yeah. And they had a really close second one too that would have, it would have tied up the game right, right at the end. It, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, potentially. So Brazil definitely pushed back at the U.S., which I think is pretty good because they've been a pretty dominant player. Yeah. So being able to show some resistance against the U.S. team, I think, is is good for them. So. Was good, yeah. And to still see the U.S. women's national team come up on top, even though mm-hmm. they had that that action in that game yeah. that they weren't really because like it, it's it's so easy to lose momentum in a game when you have a goal scored right against you, even if you're up by two to three points, it still stings. Um, so being able to be a team that is able to fight right back once that goal is scored against them, I think says a lot about this team. And I hope that they're able to carry that forward into the World Cup. If they can, I think the U.S. team is going to be a really solid component. Yeah, I think looking into Japan, we can briefly talk about Japan before moving to Canada. Japan brings an organization and a togetherness that I think hopefully inspired the U.S. Women's National Team to work towards. Mm-hmm. And I think just looking at the three of the teams that they had to face, they they have very different and distinct strengths. And so it was a great competition to kind of go down different routes in every game and for the U.S. Women's National Team to adapt and be flexible with mm-hmm. different playing styles. So yeah, Japan definitely brought like the organization. Obviously, we still came out on top. We performed very well in the She Believes Cup. We as in the U.S. Women's National Team. This is my new thing. I just say we as in like the team that I root for. <laughs> like I'm a part of it. <laughs> but newest walk-on player of 2024 yeah. yeah i've never played a soccer game in my life <laughs> hey, you, you never know <laughs> uh, anyways but yeah and then canada obviously has been performing well in recent years with their gold medal that was probably one of the worst u.s women's national team games to watch when we lost to them before the gold medal match and then we ended up getting brought like that was so hard to watch but yeah, very cool to bit. see a team that is like one of our biggest rivals, but obviously 
some a team that we stand behind and and mm-hmm. yeah we'll, we'll i'm eager to see how they perform in the world cup if they get there i think they're going to be pretty fierce i think they have a lot of built up for. energy they need to they need to get out true is it time should we talk about it yeah okay you gotta trans you gotta make the transition so speaking of <laughs> <laughs> yeah so with the canadian team in mind one thing that made this team really stand out in this year's she believes cup is the issues that their organization has been facing right before the world cup so canada's team has been going through a pretty similar situation to the u.s women's national team in regards to equal pay between their men's team and their women's team and equal resources and i equal feel resources. like is a big thing for them yeah yeah So just equal terms in general, the Canadian team has not been receiving that. And so their organization recently made some pretty big budget cuts to the team right before the World Cup. And so I've seen a few interviews where some of the players on their team have expressed concern over the fact that they no longer have enough staff to help support their team. They're not able to recruit as many players as they would like. Um, They're not able to get the same level of amenities when they go and travel to different places. So sounds very similar to the women's national team over these last few years. And so the Canadian team used the She Believes Cup. And I think this is one of the strengths of the She Believes Cup and She Believes Summit. They were able to use it as a platform to make their issues well known to those who were That's watching. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. And so in order to protest the issues that are happening within their organization, they all wore purple armbands. And not just the Canadian team, but all the other teams in the tournament as well, except Brazil. Brazil was the one team that did not wear it. And, and Canada wore purple shirts too. That they said, did, yes. Oh my gosh, what did they say on it when they walked onto the field? But they also did that in protest. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of speculation as to why the Brazilian team did not wear it. But many are stating the reason why they didn't is because the Brazilian organization is a little bit, a little bit tougher um, in regards to potential retaliation that their team can face. So a lot of a lot of people think that they didn't wear it out of fear of themselves which opens up a whole new conversation. But sticking with the Canadian team, this definitely has sparked a lot of movement to shift support to the Canadian team as well, as they now find themselves fighting a very similar battle that the U.S. women's national team has just been fighting for the last six years. So it's kind of cool to see how the efforts that the U.S. women's national team fighting for equal pay and equal resources has now started to bleed into other organizations that are facing this um, similar problem. So I'm hoping... It's obviously frustrating to see that there's still so many teams that are fighting for equal pay, but it's really cool to see now that I'm hoping that the fight that the U.S. Women's National Team just went through is going to inspire more teams to also take up the same fight, because in the end, you need every team standing shoulder to shoulder in order for this to happen. Yeah, and and to go back on what I said earlier, their shirt said enough is enough. I looked it up. (laughs) Um, And so... Kind of just seeing that. And I also think a thing to call out in terms of the battle um, with Canada soccer is U.S. women's national team players, even before the game that they were playing against them, were very vocal on they, they may be our enemies on the field in terms of, you know, or not enemies, that is a very strong word. <laughs> opponents. Um, you know, our our greatest opponent or ri- biggest rivalry, whatever but we stand by them in this issue and Mm -hmm. like we support them in this. And I think that's always been something that like women supporting women is great to see. I just like, I wish I saw it from the men's 
like men supporting them. Yeah. And, and even- I don't, there could have been support out there from the Canada men's team. I have no idea. Um, but like, I think about the women's like equal pay fight. And I think about when the women are going to be at the world cup, are the men going to like be rooting for them? Like, I, I don't see a lot of crossover there, but yet I saw a crossover from the U.S. women's national team, which I would expect of them, and I think it's great that they're doing that. And to know that, like, these teams are going to put their right, uh, like, their value of who they are as not even just, like, a soccer player, but as a human, they're going to put that before going to the World Cup and winning mm-hmm. for their country that is clearly not supporting them in the way that they need to be. And I think that says a lot. And I think it's really cool to see, like, the community behind the players. And, I mean, this goes into, like, the France thing that just happened this past week. Three key players saying, like, they're not going to play in the World Cup unless you provide, you know, a better playing environment. And seeing that, I'm pretty sure the president of France soccer like stepped down. So like there's so much happening and it's like a ripple effect by a team that the United States, and we've talked about this briefly before, the United States is very developed for women's soccer compared to other places in the world. And they're Arguably catching up the most developed. Right. And they're catching up now. So what's going to happen in the future with Spain, with France, with Brazil, with Canada, like all of these teams that they're good and you need to invest in those women or else they're not going to play for you. And they shouldn't like, why should you play for a country that gave all of these, like all of these resources to the men's team that just played in Qatar Mm -hmm. in a city that can't even have, would not be able to hold the FIFA women's world cup. You supported that. You put so much resources to that. And now you're going to cut their budget in half on the year that, the reigning gold medal like olympic champs are going to the world like it's just it boggles my mind Um, i know it's crazy and i love that you brought up this point too about needing like where is the support from the men's team and like as you said they very well could be supporting it's just hard to see yeah but one thing that i think a lot of not a lot of people forget but just something to keep in mind is that when these negotiations are happening between any women's national team and their organization, there are three parties. Yeah, that the are men involved. are also involved. It's the men's <laughs> team, the women's team, and the organization. And in order for the women's teams to be allocated more resources, in order to make it fair, the men have to agree to accept less resources because it's not like the pot is getting bigger. You just have to spread it out more evenly. So it's going to be interesting to see how those communications continue to go on between all these three different parties and hopefully this process can happen a little bit faster than it had to for the women's team but i'm curious to see how this plays out in different countries and how if (laughs) if the men's team are willing to put their money where their mouth is right especially (laughs) especially in a cut like the united states and canada like the men's team are not nearly as good as the women's (laughs) team where i think it's a whole different story in like spain france and even brazil because brazil Brazil. yeah i mean the brazil men's team is incredible um we love neymar shout out shout out neymar (laughs) (laughs) megan gets a chance to talk about her love for neymar on the podcast finally episode three But I think, like, that's a whole different conversation and approach than the U.S. women's team had, right? So, like, Mm -hmm. they had an incredible record book of, we did this and this and this. We were the best in the world, and we still can't get what the men get when they didn't even qualify for 2018 World Cup. And so it's it's a very different conversation for France, who, I mean, it, it almost boggles my mind more, like, you have shown success in the men's team, yet you're giving the women less. Like, it, it's a whole different argument, I think. But yeah. It just shows just how much more work needs to be done. 
We're it's kind of crazy. Canada. Yeah, I hope. I know there was. Um, I think settlements, either in the in the works or or happened with the Canada soccer team so far. So I think there's change that's hopefully coming. I think we've seen change with France. I think when people put their when women put their foot down and they're like, we're not going to accept this. You're not going to have a World Cup team. I think that's, it just all goes down to pride. Like, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I think we've talked about America with women have been super successful, men not as much. Like, eventually, it's going to come down to pride of that country. Like, we want our players to show up great at the World Cup. And so we will give them what they want, or else we're not going to have that. And I feel like that's what happened in France. That's what's going to happen eventually in the United States for men. I think um, at some point we're going to invest a crap ton of money into men's soccer just so that we can look the best on the world stage. Yeah. <laughs> because pride is literally in all governments and all like authorities of sports and stuff. And we know how much power FIFA holds and all of that fun jazz. So I feel like this is only the beginning. But props to the women for really you know, putting themselves first, honestly, and yeah. and just like the collective of all women. But we love to see women supporting women. It's a great thing to see. Okay, mm-hmm. let's end this podcast. We're almost done with a fun question. Okay. Okay. Who were you enjoying the most watching in the She Believes Cup? And then if you could pick one person that would be guaranteed on the World Cup roster right now, who would it be? And it can be the same person. And I'll let you go first. Okay. So I... you can say the person we both love. Okay. Love to watch. <laughs> Sounds good. So for the person who I've enjoyed watching the most, it's going to be... I, I know she hasn't played all that much, but it's going to be Megan Rapino. I was giving you an out to say Mouse Wanton. Well, that's, she's going to be my answer <laughs> for my second question. <laughs> she's up next. But no, just like, I just love Megan Rapino's attitude, both on and off the field. You know, she's definitely someone who wants to see her team win. Whether that means she has more playing time, she has less playing time, whether she's scoring the goals, assisting the goals. I just love her teamwork mindset that she has. It's just really enjoyable to watch her give opportunities to players who haven't played that much on the U.S. Women's National Team. Just having played soccer my entire life, being able to play with people like that just makes the game so much more enjoyable. So I really respect that part of her. In regards to your second question, Mallory Swanson. If I am correct, she has now scored the most goals in the She Believes World... Well, I almost just said She Believes World Cup. (laughs) She Believes Cup Tournament. Um, She sits at eight. The previous record was at seven goals, so she's... And it was Megan Rapinoe. And it was Megan Rapinoe. Yeah. Um, So she's number one. She's just been such an all-star. She's really proved herself, not just through the She Believes Cup, but through all games that she's played in the past. Um, I think she's going to be an incredible asset to the World Cup team. And I would argue that she is guaranteed... A spot on the roster. I think so with too. Megan, with Alex Morgan. With Alex Morgan, <laughs> with yeah. With Alex Morgan. Uh, and I did, okay, this is not my answer. Side note, I loved watching Trinity Rodman with Alex Morgan and Mal Swanson. I'm a big Trinity Rodman fan. I think she... She does love Trinity Rodman. She kind of reminds me of a female version of Neymar. And here is my reason. Really? I have never heard that before. One, she is a little feisty on the pitch. Yeah. <laughs> and two, she's like very creative and you have to like give her room to be creative. But she also provided a lot of assists um, so far in the games that she's played with Sophia Smith out, which I think is critical for a winger. So my answer, since you asked, was... <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Either my girl, Lindsay Horan, um, but I will say... That's who I want for the World Cup roster. I would pick Lindsay Horan. 
But I think who I enjoyed watching going a different way, not a striker um, or a winger, I would say Crystal Dunn. I think watching her play more than half a game was really exciting, seeing a mama come back on the field. And then also the vibe she provided when they won the trophy. Chef's kiss. I love her. (laughs) She is so fun. She brings energy. And we needed her in the back line. I think that is where, which is funny because, okay, let me finish my thought. I think that's where the U.S. Women's National Team definitely needs some help is definitely our um, midfield and back and back line more than our strikers. Obviously, Mal Swanson's on fire. Alex Morgan, we can rely on her. Mm-hmm. Sophia Smith is also on fire coming back from her injury hopefully soon. But we needed some veterans in the back, someone that has like leadership, and we can't rely on Becky Sauerbrunn all the time because she can't play all the games. Like She's not, she's not 24 anymore. So um, kind of going through that, and I think... That was the biggest criticism going into 2019 World Cup for the U.S. Women's National Team. So maybe this is good for them in terms of, you know, it's common for them to be speculated that they don't have a good backline. So we'll see what happens. I also think Canada might be a strong asset in the World Cup now because they have something to fight for, just like the women's team did That's back in true. 2019 for the U.S. So, yeah. Well, thanks for tuning in. You can find all the information on the She Believes Summit online. <laughs> <laughs> not sponsored you just go to google type in she believes you find everything you need oh and usa 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 go usa (laughs) bye